Morning. How's everyone doing today? Good, good. Hey, you guys know me. Normally, before we, we start into a, a message and all that, we, I like to take the moment and just give appreciation or give encouragement to someone in here, someone who has been attending here, someone who works here, and different things like that. Because in my heart, I want you to know that you're loved. Like, I want you to know that when you come here, people see you. They see the work that you're doing, and it's appreciated. It's, and we want to encourage you to continue to do the good work that you are doing and to know that you come in here and that there's going to be people here who love you and love what you're doing. And, and for me, this has always been a big thing I, I feel like church should be doing. And this week, i got to say, you guys really encouraged me in a powerful way this past week. And some of the things I've been seeing God do in our midst. Like, for instance, we started doing those buckets a few weeks ago. And let me tell you, it lifts my spirit every morning when I'm going around and I'm saying hello to people. And I, I hear the change drop in the background. I'm like, that's, that's our people investing in this cause to, to get kids off the floor. And I, I love that. And I love the, how uh, last week we did a chair fund, and you guys raised so much money, it paid for 100 more chairs than what we have people in our church. And I'm just blown away by that, right? And then last week, we introduced a new concept for our church where we're going to begin more active on praying for the lost, that we want to see people find the new life that is in Jesus. And so we, we put this little prayer box, this white little box that's sitting out there right now in the hub. We encourage you guys to fill out cards for people in your life that you think, hey, this person needs to know of the gospel. They need to know that Jesus loves them. And some of you, you didn't put just one name in it. You put like a dozen different names and you filled up that box and this this week, as elders, we, we stopped and prayed over those names, and I was just overwhelmed by your heart and to see what God is doing in the midst of this week. So let me just, can we just give a round of applause for what God is doing in our midst lately, right? Yeah. So as all of you have heard me talk about before, I've always been, you know, pro-Android. And then recently I turned to the dark side and bought an iPhone. I know. Um, little identity crisis, yes. Um, I'm not really happy about myself with this. And this came back to bite me this week. Because I was texting Stephanie uh, about ordering shirts for her sister-in-law's cancer treats treatment. And I've texted Stephanie before and had the conversation was going all right. And then halfway through the conversation, my for some reason, I was getting Stephanie's number or Stephanie's text messages, but my responses weren't going back to Stephanie. They were actually being sent to her daughter, Emily. Now, why that's funny is I don't even have Emily's contact information in my phone whatsoever. And so I'm like, how am I seeing these text messages from Stephanie, but when I reply, they're going to someone completely different, and it's this like mad like conversation. We're just trying to figure out, like, okay, who is talking to who in this moment here? And it was so frustrating. I wanted to yell at my phone of, we are in the 21st century. It should be easy to pick up a phone and be able to talk to someone. It should be simple. Yes, I should have stuck with the Android. I didn't have this problem before that, all right? Um, but this is a, an important thing because we, this should be simple, right? It should be simple just to pick up a phone and communicate with someone. And we live in the 21st century, and there's a lot of things in this life that we should be able to be like, you know what, this should be simple by this point, right? Like the human race has been living for quite a while. We should have figured out how to do these things after a while. And, and we love for things to be simple. All of us do. 
Because we live like these really complicated lives where they feel chaotic, they feel rushed and things like that. So we, we naturally like for things to be simple. We look for it in how we like fast food restaurants. Where, hey, it's a simple way. Let's just drive through fast food. We'll spend two minutes in line, maybe 10 if you're going to McDonald's, and just to get you know, a burger that you didn't have to make. It's super simple, right? We naturally love things to be simple. We listen to what's simple. We buy what's simple. Look at Apple, okay? I know I'm not advocating for Apple here, but they released a product a number of years ago called the iPod, okay? It's an MP3 device. I don't know, maybe you're too young or too old, you don't know what that is, but it was a device that held music before your phone did. I know, crazy concept, okay? And so they released this device called the iPod, and it was an MP3 device, and this, here's an important thing. It was not the first one of its time, nor was it even the best software, but it outsold everyone else because it was simple. A little screen with a single button and you press play to listen to music and it sold like crazy. They did the same thing with the iPad. When the tablets came out, it wasn't the first tablet, it wasn't even the best tablet, but it was simple to use and people just ate it up and bought it. Because we naturally look for things to be simple and we avoid what's complicated. And I know this is true because when you're online and you see that, hey, do you agree to the terms and conditions, user agreements, and none of us ever read it, right? It's long, it's complicated, you ignore it, you just scroll to the end and you press accept. We all do it. I did it yesterday, okay? We all are like this because we want things to be simple. We don't like for things to be complicated. Because when we look at our lives, I think we look at it and we're like, our lives feel unsimple. And they feel chaotic. We feel like we're being rushed from one thing to the next, that we just have this calendar that's looming over us, that we have to go to the next step as quickly as possible. We try to make ourselves as busy as we possibly can, and it's only going to get busier because we're entering into the holiday season soon. And so we feel rushed, we feel overwhelmed, we feel exhausted, and then there's this thought that comes in our mind of, I wish we can go back to when things were simple. See, here's my belief where the church fits into that. I believe, and we as a church believe, that church should be simple. We believe church should be simple. We believe that this should be a place that you come to and you get rest, you get nourishment, you are encouraged by being here among the family of God with one another so that you might go out of this place and be the people of God that this world needs to see. And we believe church should be simple. We believe it shouldn't be complicated or shouldn't be hectic or shouldn't be something that is just overweighing on you. It should be something where you're, hey, I'm with friends and family and we're worshiping God. And we believe this because when you look at the Gospels and you look at Jesus, he made his call to people very simple. He went up to them and said, hey, I want you to follow me. I want you to die to yourself. Follow me 100%. Leave your career behind everything. Come be a part of what God is doing. And he left it in their hands of they were going to dive in 100% and follow him or not. And we have the 12 disciples who are like, yeah, I'm going to leave everything behind. I'm going to leave my, my family. I'm going to leave my friends for a while, my job. I'm going to follow you, Jesus, and see what God is doing in your midst. And a lot of people did say no to Jesus. They're like, whoa, that's too much. And I love how clear Jesus was. He didn't play games. He wasn't like, hey, can I just, um, hey, guys, can we just have maybe 15 minutes of your time a day, you know, just to talk, or and maybe, maybe just an hour a week. I'm, I'm not asking for much. I mean, Jesus was not like that. He was simple. He was clear. He said, come follow me. Die to yourself. We're going to do what God has called us to do. And for us as a church, we want to be the same way. No, we're not saying, hey, you need to come and die to yourself right now. That's something that Jesus calls all of us to. 
But his message was simple. And he went around declaring that God was on the move, that God was doing something, God was fulfilling his promises, he was bringing in a king, and he kept pointing to himself as that king. Now, obviously, this kind of stirs up some trouble. The people are like, whoa, I don't know if we like this. this. This seems new. This seems different. So people are always coming up to try to undermine Jesus, try to stop him, try to test him. One of the best stories for it happens in Luke chapter 10, which is where we're going to be at. So if you have a Bible, feel free to turn there. We're going to be picking up at verse 25. Now, this passage, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, in my opinion, is the bluff passage. In fact, the very first conversation I ever had with Dave over the phone, we started talking about this passage, and he references passage of this is the Bluff Church's theme verse, if there ever is one, okay? So it's in Luke chapter 10. If you would read with me, we're going to be picking up at verse 25, and it reads this. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. Now, real fast, this is an important thing to remember. Okay, here's this guy. He's an incredibly intelligent individual. He's a lawyer. He's experienced in trapping people in their words, right? And he's come to put Jesus to the test. So this is an intense situation right here. Okay, it says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Okay, now there are a lot of layers to this, and I'm going to try to make this simple. But it's important when we're reading Scripture that we understand the context of the day because the context determines the content. So that's probably just something good to know for whenever you're reading the Bible. Okay, what is the original context? What did this mean for the original hearers? And here's the thing. This passage, what the guy is asking, is not the question that we're all thinking. He's not asking, how do I get to heaven? That's not the question that was being asked. That's what we think in a 21st century mindset. We we naturally read the Bible and we think it's all about how we can get to heaven. And we think Christianity, therefore, is all about getting people to heaven. But that's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is about the story of how God is going to come and restore and redeem humanity under the banner of his Christ so that his presence might be among all of us. That's the story of Christianity, is how is God going to fix this world? How is God going to fix us and live among us once again? Because it all goes back to the story of Genesis. Because the story of Genesis begins where man is created in the image of God. He's made to to be co-creators with God, to have this relationship with God where they're sharing in each other's presence, they're enjoying one another. God is blessing them, working in them, and ruling through them. This is the relationship you see in the first three chapters of Genesis. And then we broke it. Because there came a point in time that we call the fall where humanity basically told God, God, we like to be in charge. We don't like you to be involved. And it's this tragic story of humanity trying to take their own autonomy of saying we're better off without God. And this is the story that happens in Genesis. And so from here on out, the rest of the Bible, if you read it in chronological format, reading it from beginning to end, you see that this is the big story of how is God going to fix us? How is God going to come back in this world, fix this broken world, and live among us again? This is the big question that the Jews are asking. In the days of Jesus. They're not asking, hey, what's going to happen to us when we're going to die? They're not asking that question. 
The question they're asking is God has given these promises in Genesis and Deuteronomy and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel that God is about to do something soon that's going to fix this world, where God is going to remove the evil in this world. He is going to then fix humanity, his chosen people, right? His people of God. And then he's going to live among them. This is the big question of the first century Jew of when is this going to happen? And this is what eternal life means for them. Not, hey, how can we get to heaven? But how do we live in God's kingdom with God as the ultimate authority? And their thought, based on reading scripture and reading passages like Isaiah 53, was that God was going to do this through a Messiah. A king who is going to come in, who is going to remove the pagan evil tyrants, who is going to fix and restore and redeem God's people, and then God was going to live among his people like how it was in the garden. This is the big story of the Bible, and we're going to look at this when we move into the new building. We're going to kick off a series looking from Genesis to Revelation in about 30 weeks, looking at this grand narrative of Scripture so that we can see this clearly displayed. But going back to the the situation with Jesus, we have this Jesus character who's been going around saying things like what we read in the book of Matthew where he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's going around declaring that he's the Messiah, he's the king, he's the one bringing in God's promises, that God's big promises are happening in the life of Jesus. And so this lawyer comes up and he says, so tell us, what does it mean to live under your authority? If you're bringing in this eternal life, tell us, what's that like to live with you as the king? Now remember, this guy is trying to trap Jesus. And here's where the trap is at. Because there was a pagan tyrant known as Caesar and his Roman Empire that was ruling over the Jews. And so here's the situation where this lawyer, he's kind of doing two things. One of them, yes, he's trying to see, does Jesus, is he going to say something unbiblical of what it means to follow him and live under his authority so we can point out and say, oh, he's a false messiah? Or is he going to speak out against the Roman Empire so we can get him killed? Because this is not a fan of Jesus. This is a guy who's looking to test Jesus to find some excuse either to discredit Jesus or to kill Jesus so they can get the Roman authorities in and say, guess what, this guy's saying that we need to grab the pitchforks and, and torches and storm the gates of Rome. So this is a, a, a sticky, difficult situation for Jesus where anything he says could come back to bite him or get him killed. So here's how Jesus answers, and it's, it's really quite clever. He says in uh, the following verse, in verse 26, he says to him, what is written in the law and how do you read it? Now, Jesus, you know, as he didn't actually answer the question, he's like, hey, let's, let's establish a baseline. What's authority for you? Okay, you, you see the scripture, the Old Testament is a source of authority. Great. What does it say in there? Which is for Jesus, he's kind of leveling out like, okay, who has the higher authority? Man's decrees or God's decrees? And so since this guy, this lawyer guy, is attesting, saying that he's a follower of God, that he he obeys the scripture, he knows what it says, here's what he says when he summarized what God would say it means to live under his authority. And he reads in verse 27. And it says, the lawyer says, answers, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Now, here's what's really cool about that passage. This guy is quoting an Old Testament passage, which is really cool, that the Bible quotes itself. I mean, that to me, I, that's a Bible geek in me. I'm like, that is really cool. The rest of you are like, that's, okay, Mason, that's whatever. Let's move on. Okay, but what this guy is quoting 
comes from the book of Deuteronomy. Now, the book of Deuteronomy is the fifth book in your Bible. So you have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is a very important book of the Bible. Because in the first five books of the Bible, you have God, he's kind of building this Israelite nation, okay? He has just rescued them from Egypt. And the book of Deuteronomy is written by a guy named Moses, who's the leader. And Moses is telling them, hey, you're about to enter into the promised land, this land that you've been looking forward to for generations, okay? And you need to know how you need to live in this new land and how you're going to live with God is the ultimate authority. And so in this passage of Deuteronomy chapter 6, I would encourage you to put a finger on Luke and flip to Deuteronomy chapter 6. You will see that God is kind of laying out, here's how I want you as my rescued, restored, redeemed people to live in a land that you're about to inherit, a land that you're going to be surrounded by enemies, a land where you're going to be surrounded by people who want to tear you apart. Here's how I want you to live. Here's the main focus for your heart. Okay, it's in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And here's what God tells the Israelite nation. It says in verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Now, in this famous passage in Deuteronomy, okay, it's, God is declaring something really important. He's like, okay, you're about to enter a new land. Remember, there, there is one God. He's the creator. He is the covenant-keeping God. And yes, he is for you, but he is for you for the sake of you being for him. Which is a very important concept that we need to grasp. That yes, God is for you. And he wants the best for you. But he knows what's the best for you ultimately comes back to being what's the best for him. Because God is more concerned with his holiness and his glory than your happiness. Because yes, he is for your sake, but it's for the sake of you being for him. It all comes back to him. And God is a very jealous God. He does not play room with, or play around with this heart issue in us. He wants all of you. He doesn't want just a portion of your life. He wants your life. Where he wants to be the central focus. And he's telling these Israelites, saying, you're about to go into this promised land. You're about to inherit all these promises that you've been working towards. You need to remember who God is. And you need to have this central focus of a love for God that is so deep, it pours itself out in a love for others. And he's so adamant, God is so adamant about the Israelites obeying this commandment that he goes on to stress how they need to obey. If you read the following verse in verse 6, he says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. And when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. See, Paul or God's people here are being instructed that this love for God is going to be so adamant that they're going to be talking about it. They're going to put reminders in their life about it so that they can always be thinking through this, so that this is the filter of how they view their life of this central focus of we are going to love God. So we bring it back to the days of Jesus. And Jesus is having this conversation with this lawyer. And this lawyer is like, hey, what does it mean to live under your authority? Remember, this guy is trying to trap Jesus. He's looking for something to point to Jesus and say, oh, yeah, this is a guy is a phony. Or this is a guy we need to kill. So to put the tension on here, what this feel like. Today, in our situation, we're in a presidential candidate debate. I don't know if you're aware of that. I know we got an extra hour of sleep last night, so maybe you forgot. But right now, we're looking to elect a presidential candidate. And I'm not advocating for either one here. 
But look at how they're debating with one another. Look at their rhetoric, and each one of them, this happens every four years, by the way, each one of them is proposing themselves as this Messiah figure, the promised person, the person who's going to fix all the problems, and they're pointing to the other person saying, this person's a tyrant, and they're, they're evil. We need to remove them, you know, things like that, or, or not uh, elect them. Whichever party you elect to, and please do not send me those emails, you know, which one's which and all. Okay. The point being, every candidate is doing this right now because every candidate does this every four years. And right now we see debates where, this is how democracies work, right? And right now we are seeing debates where people are throwing questions at each person, trying to trap them, trying to get something on them that they can point to, to attack them with. This is how democracy works in a lot of ways. And we're seeing that right now. So like bring this into the focus of Jesus, and this is exactly what's happening. Where Jesus is in this situation, the guy's like, hey, what does it mean to live under your authority? And here's the answer that Jesus is giving it's going all the way back to the command that God gave the Israelites right before they entered in the promised land. It's a conclusion and a concept which is so simple. You hear us say it all the time here at the bluff. And it's that it all comes down to loving God and loving people. It all comes down to loving God and loving people. This is the central focus on when Jesus is talking about what it means to live with him as the ultimate authority in life is that the way we live our lives, the moral center, all comes from this growing love for God and growing love for the people around us. Because the more we grasp how much God loves us, the more we naturally will start to love others in reflection of that. And this is how Jesus describes what it means to live under his authority. He's not saying, hey, we need to pick up the pitchforks and torches and storm the Roman gates. But he says, no, no, we need to love God and love people. And when the lawyer comes to this point, this is why Jesus ends the conversation with this guy in the final verse of 28 of Luke. He says, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Because for Jesus, this is the central focus. And you're like, what does it mean to be a Christian? Well, it comes down to love God and love people. And for us as a church, that's something we're very passionate about. I don't know if you've ever heard us say love God, love people, but we do say it a lot, all right? And it's not a catchy phrase of, yeah, that just rings together very well, so let's say that. It's because this is the central command that God gives of how his people are to live in this world. And we say that all the time here at the Bluff because it, it really affects everything we do. For us, it's, it's why we make the decisions that we make. My hope is that you can look at our leadership and you might even be like, hey, they make decisions sometimes I disagree with, but you understand the heart behind it is that we want to see a greater love for God and love for people and you that's around us. Because everything we do is on this baseline that we want all of us to love God more and love people more. So every decision we make is about that. And we want this so clear. This is why we put it on t-shirts and on mugs and different things like that because we want this to be before you. We want this reminder to be always there before you as a filter because sometimes in life we drop the ball. Like, I don't know if you have social media, but you can sure see it on social media, right? There's a lot of times on social media I want to post and say, does that really love God, love people? Because this should be how we interact with one another. That before we speak, before we say something, do something, we should ask ourselves, does this reflect a love God, love people attitude? And will this help to build it in others? And if it's not, then it's not worth saying and doing. I think with that logic, some of us would probably even delete our social media accounts entirely if we can't use them that way. 
Look, this is something that is the central focus of our church. It's the goal of our youth ministry and children's ministry. It's the goal of what happens here on Sunday mornings that we want you, when you come here, to walk away and say, you know what, I love God a little bit more today. And I want to love people a little bit more when I walk out of this place because of what happened in here. And I wonder, if God gave this command to the Israelites right before they entered into the promised land, and he told them, here's how I want you to go about being my people in a foreign land, in a land that does not want me involved. And God looked at them and said, I want you to love me and love people. And then Jesus, in a similar way, when he's launching his kingdom movement and he's telling people what it means to have Jesus as your king and, and to have Jesus as the one that you're following, and he says it looks like loving God and loving people. I wonder if in a smaller, similar way, if God would look at the Bluff Church right now and says, you're about to move into a new building, things are going to change, here's what I want you to do. And here's what I want you to focus on of growing in a deeper love for God and love for people. That's not just present among here on Sunday mornings, but that's present that when you leave this place as well, that other people can look and see and point to it and be able to say, you know what, those people are definitely people who go to the Bluff Church because they really love God and they really love people. It's a simple thing that God has left us. And I think it's important to, to reflect on and, and think about because we live in a very unsimple time. Because you're probably thinking, this is nice and all, Mason, but right now my problems are a little bit bigger than, I, I need something a little bit more than just to go out and love God and love people. Because this is 2020, and things are difficult. And I get that. My heart has been burdened by that all week when I've been thinking about all you guys and seeing the situations you're in. I mean, just look at the school district, the people who work in the school district. I mean, you guys are facing incredible challenges. And they're just going to start, they're going to, you know, continue come Monday when new things are put into place and stuff like that. You guys are facing a situation, a time frame that you never thought that you'd have to work through in the school districts. But you know what? I'm so proud of the fantastic job that you guys have done this year. I mean, you really have, for those of you who work in the school district, you have taken this opportunity to grow, to be stretched, to, to be more like Jesus as you go out in this simple way of loving God and loving people where you're at. Because I firmly believe that God has placed you where you're at so that you can be salt and light, so you can be a difference maker, so you can be an influence, so you can wreck the roof to reach people, so that you can love God and love people where you're at. And I think that's true, not just for teachers, I think that's also true for us students in the room, okay? Those who are like, you never thought you'd grow up in this kind of situation that we have faced in this time frame. And there's a lot of pressures, there's a lot of changes. Some of you, you had your, your senior year completely changed. Some of you had these expectations, these things that you regularly did, that you loved all the time, and they were stripped from you. And there was no reason for it, or not reason, but there's no... Like, it wasn't your fault that these things happened. And I get how heartbreaking that is. And I hear that pain. But you know what? You're doing a fantastic job. When I look at the character and the way you have gone about loving God and loving people in this situation you're in, it really is fantastic. And I think God had in mind that in 2020, you'd be raised up and you'd be in the school situation you're in for the spot where you're at to love God and love people. I think that's true as well for our medical workers. I mean, medical workers, you guys have had a trying year. 
In a lot of ways, you've been seen as some of the bad guys sometimes, as you've had to give terrible news, or you had to be stretched to your limits. I know you probably feel exhausted. You feel like, hey, I'm, I'm stretched to my limits, but let me tell you, I am so proud of the way you have gone about loving God and loving people and the situations that you're in. And I think God has put you in those places to do that because someone you're around needs to see that. I think that's true if you're law enforcement as well, that this carries over. If you're a business owner or you run a team and you've had to deal with the struggles of how are you going to be a good leader or a good manager or a good whatever to your team that you're at work when some of them are getting sick or you have these new policies and stuff like that. I have seen the difficulties that you have been facing. And so has God. I think right now God would be like, you know what? You're doing a good job. Well done. Continue to go at it, loving God and loving people. Because you might not see the work that is being done, but God is doing the work when you have a deeper love for him. And when God's people have a deeper love for him and they want to do something with it, God is on the move. And God is doing something in this season through you, I believe. You might not know what it is. It might be something that you never even see the fruit of it. Someone else gets to reap the fruit of it. But I believe in the situation which you are in, that God wants you to love him and love people in that spot. I know that's not a popular message for today, a message of love, because we live in a day where the message is fear and hate and power and selfishness. But I think we have a great opportunity to go back to a very simple message and say, you know what, what it means to follow God, it all means, it all comes down to loving God and loving people. And that God has put us in the places where we're at to do that. And I believe in you guys. I'm excited week after week to see what God is doing where you are at and to hear the stories every single Sunday when I'm talking with people. People being like, oh yeah, I got a chance to do this. And God put me in this situation right here. There's, God is up to something. And I think he's bringing back the focus for us to love him and love people. Won't you pray with me? O Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us sinners. You've asked us a very simple command to love people by our love for you and to grow in this. And we mess it up, and that's, that's perfectly all right. Because you didn't call us to be perfect, you called us to follow you. And part of any journey is the act of stumbling. But it's wonderful to see that stumbling does not disqualify us. But it is part of the journey. And yes, people in this world might look at it and be like, oh, we're hypocrites because we talk about loving God and loving people, and yet we fail to do it. But we proudly say, yeah, we're, we're not always the best at this. But you were. And that's the opportunity that we have, is to always be able to point back to you point back to your grace and your mercy that we stumble again and again every single day. You are always there to pick us back up. And Father, we want to love you more. We want to love you so much that, that we are overflowing with love for you that it cannot help but to be poured out in love for others around us. So Father, open our mouths and we will praise you. Open our ears and we will hear you. Open our eyes to see those around us who need your love. 
And Father, I ask once more, grow the love for you in our hearts. It is in your name I pray. Amen.